You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Uh, Good morning, I think it is. Welcome to Fight in Progress. Actually, the new name, Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Right. With TomTheBomb.com. And Susan Simmons. (laughs) We make quite a duo here, don't we? We really like each other. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Until I ask you to put a microwave in. <laughs> I'm surprised you're speaking to me. Uh, it was going to be a simple task, everybody, that turned out to not be a simple task. <laughs> yeah, well. That's part of the fight in progress. <laughs> it was a fight in progress, that's for sure. Yeah, and we have a uh, very special guest with us. We do. And someone I like most of the time. Um, I like her most of the time, too. Exactly. And I haven't really heard her say much bad about you. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, I'm saving it for the podcast. <laughs> okay. You know, you got to have some good stuff here. But yeah, in my intro about Mark, his name is Mark Valenzuela. He's retired Phoenix PD, who has taught with me now for, what, since about 2019? Late, yes. Later 2019? Yes. And uh, yeah, this podcast, a big part of this is because of that man sitting right there, Mark Valenzuela, who was on me for years. You need to do a podcast. You need to do a... And then today, what does he tell us? He's never done one. Right. So, but I've listened to that. I listened to a lot of them. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but here's the question. Have you listened to ours? No. Seriously? So he's, he tells you that you have to do one. Yes, he's on me. I mean, hounding me. And then how long have you been doing this the podcast for when did you not even a year i don't well, No, we haven't even had a year yet but pushing a year pushing it and it's the first time he's been on yeah and and has it and he hasn't even, listened hasn't to even it listened to it who do you think you are i'll do like everybody else and blame it on coven <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna blame it on trump <laughs> come on let's get real <laughs> we know it's trump's fault everything's right. trump's fault. <laughs> sure mark that sounds good anyway but COVID prevented you from listening? Yeah, it, I closed off to everything. Oh, yeah. I just decided to, <laughs> you were afraid to listen. To go in a room and just shut everything down. You might and, catch COVID from the podcast. You yeah, never sure. know. <laughs> but, I, but I started talking about the podcast a while back because when I was on patrol, I could listen to podcasts in between calls. Sure. And sometimes it was other cops. Sometimes I listened to firefighters. Sometimes it was Why? even just military. <laughs> <laughs> and you just take in things going down the road sure and then it sparks you to go wow let me look up to see what this person went through that caused them to get to this you know to be speaking on this podcast sure so now if you listen to fire guys did they explain how to drag the fire hose under the cop car so they can't leave <laughs> oh that's a good one golly sneaky little things aren't they <laughs> have yeah. you thought of that one don't park too close to the fire hydrant <laughs> <laughs> yeah that could be fun too <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to question some of mine when they come in here now if that's something they do on purpose because that that's kind of cool it, that's right because if you run over it what happens uh you could break the hose and they get 
you know, they get then a they're really upset. Ooh, upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one wants their hose hurt. Don't drive over the hose. <laughs> <laughs> they are a little sensitive about their hoses. <laughs> we love you firefighters. And yes, we do. Listening. But anyway, um, so Mark, tell us about you. I don't know. There's not a lot to tell. I mean, oh, I, I, hope, you, I hope we only have five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll brag on him because he is a he's a combat Marine. And being the mother of a Marine, I have to like him for that, if nothing else. Okay. And But the way we met was pretty interesting because he the first thing I said to Mark, and I'll let him tell the story, but the first thing he said to me when he walked into my office was somebody, I said, you want me to tell you what your problem is? <laughs> and he looks at me and like, ooh, she talks funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to get past that one first. We had a little language barrier. <laughs> right. <laughs> So tell us your story. So back in, uh, as you mentioned, I served in Desert Storm. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. I uh, was a sergeant when I left the Marine Corps and came into the police department. It was by chance that I came back home to Arizona because uh, I'm a native, but was born in Phoenix. What do you mean that by chance? Well, because I tried not to come home. Oh, when, when I, I tried got, that too. I tried. I didn't want to. There was a reason why I left, right? <laughs> I had a reason too. So I wanted to go, you know, I, the, the typical person want to go see the world, you know, make a difference in life and, and do something great. Mm -hmm. So I joined the Marine Corps, had no intentions on being stationed here, uh, but kind of was kind of forced back to Phoenix. And I worked out at the recruiting station downtown. Oh, I thought you'd left the Marine Corps when you came back here. No, you were still, I, I was still on active still, duty. Okay. So as I got towards the end of my uh, final tour, I started looking into leaving the service because I was, uh, out of the 10 years I was in, I was gone for a lot of it. And you were married. And I'm, I was married and I had, you know, children. And especially my boys were growing up without me because I was always gone, uh, especially my son that was uh, born before I joined the Marine Corps. He was here. Uh, so I missed a lot of his life, of early part of his life, because I was gone. And let me add this caveat here to our <laughs> audience here now. When you hear Mark's whole story, don't judge me. He's a work in progress. <laughs> I'm not done with him. So I don't want anybody sitting here going, boy, she did a fine job working with that one. <laughs> so they, you know, like I said, it was one of those things where I came home by chance. Uh, it all worked out for the good like it always does. Sure. I uh, was able to be here with my grandparents when they passed away, who I was very close with. And I decided to test with the Phoenix Police Department. So I was in the police department in the academy for about two months on terminal leave. I was still in the Marine Corps. And started my career like anything else. I'm going to clean up the world. I'm coming out of the Marine Corps. I haven't kind of de-escalated yet. So give me something to Get fix. Get out of the way, people. <laughs> and I'm going to fix it. Uh, and I just, you know, basically went through a period of time where I say I just wasn't a good guy. I just was there to do crime. There was black and white. <clears throat> and no matter what I saw, it was about doing the police work mm -hmm. and the personal stuff was aside. Well, and, <clears throat> I, and I know your faith is very important and you're going to bring that into this. Would you even have considered yourself a Christian at that point? Or were you not a believer or what were you at that point? I was a believer. But it was, it was brought into my life. God was brought into my life when I was very young. Okay. 
but I say I was somebody that was running. Mm-hmm. I was running for my faith. Um, had a lot of things that happened in the past, uh, personally, um, things that I saw in the Marine Corps. Um, the Marine Corps was a great place to be angry, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it works to their benefit. <laughs> Uh, but I always had something tugging at me, something that always kept me grounded, especially how I dealt with my troops. I always tried to teach, every, treat everybody fair. Even on the police department, when I dealt with people on the street, I always treated everybody fair. But I wasn't really looking to do anything extra. I was going to go to the call and then get to the next call. Sure. Um, you know, Phoenix is really a really busy city. And then when my faith started to kick in full swing... Um, when I turned 40, things started to change for me. I'm like, man, why didn't I do this the whole time? This is way better than what I was doing before. How, what did God do that, that changed that for you? Is there one thing in particular? It was a gradual thing or what? Well, I say it was, uh, I call it the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. My wife left me mm-hmm. and my mother was dying and I had a choice to make. Sure. Either I wallow in self-pity and be that victim and be a victim or I be who or I become who I've always thought I was mm-hmm. and rise above it. And instead of pointing fingers at my wife for the situation, I started pointing fingers at myself hmm. and saying, Hey God, you got me. You floored me this time. <laughs> you know, sure. I am not in control of this one. Sure. What do you need me to do? And he just totally flipped my life around. I started going to church I started reading the Bible. Everybody's looking at me like I was crazy. Uh, Mark must have hit his head. This is, somebody, it's funny you say that. I told a longtime police officer that I had given my life to Jesus Christ. He says, wow, somebody dropped you on your head? And I said, yes, kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. he has a way of yeah. doing that. Careful what you ask for, right? <laughs> yeah. So I just started to um, do things differently. Uh, I still dealt with the crime. I still did my job, but I was actively looking for people to help on the road and it changed my whole outlook on law enforcement. Sure. And, and you were how long in at this point? Uh, at 40, I was in about 11 years. Okay. So started to do things different. Uh, I started to notice officers were different around me. Nobody was cussing around me anymore. <laughs> but like, I didn't change. It just. But it's pretty amazing, though, when you start going to calls and you have God running in the back and of your mind. Yes. Yep. And you start looking for opportunities. Yes. It's amazing what opportunities present. Yes. You yes. Know, to you. Yes. Where you can talk to people and make a real difference in their life instead yes. of just being a cop, black and white, and going. To the next call. Yes. Yeah, I want Mark to make sure. Mark, I have to remind him of things he needs to talk about. <laughs> uh, I do this with him in trainings too. You know? <laughs> but I want him to share the story about the homeless man. And the oh, shoes. yeah. Yeah, so it was, like I said, that was one of those things where God makes your eyes open to see something else. And we were there trying to, and it was actually the same year or just prior to the shooting, mm-hmm. a few months. And uh, I was on a call. It was a trespasser call. Guys hanging around asking for money. And I get there and I'm the backup officer. And I'm listening to what's going on and I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm looking around. I'm covering my other officer. But I keep looking down at this man's feet. At He has no shoes. 
on his feet. And his feet were so bad that his socks were like, looked like they refused to his feet. Like they just, his skin, like, they're just like, like you couldn't pull them yeah, apart, like they right? Game part of his skin. And I'm sitting there going, I got to get this guy some shoes, you know? And I'm like, we finish the call, we do our jobs. And I tell this guy, Hey, uh, you're going to have to stay here. I go, I'm asking you to stay here at the bus stop. I'm going to go try to find you some shoes. And he did. He, <laughs> he took my word that I was coming back because it took me about an hour to come back. But the story of the shoes is really the guy. Oh yeah. The, and, and it, and it was, I drove around for a good part of a half hour looking for shoes, but this guy had a size 16 E oh. foot. And he kept telling me, yeah, you can't walk in anywhere and get those. They have to be ordered. So I'm, he tells me four or five times, my shoe size is 16E. My shoe size is 16E. I'm going, sir, I heard you, 16E, 16E. (laughs) And I was like, wait, I have these shoes at home that I bought my son who has a big foot. And I've been trying to, take these shoes, send these shoes back for months because they didn't fit them for almost two months. I'm fighting with this company about sending these shoes back and I just can't, I keep hitting walls. I'm like, I'm never getting rid of these shoes. I'm going to, you're I'm not going to grow into yeah. a 16 yes. mark. They're going to become a planner or a fly swatter. They're so big. Right. So I was like, okay, I got these shoes at home that I know are big. I don't, maybe they'll fit. So I have to leave the city to do it. So I have to call my boss and say, Hey boss, I know this is going to sound strange, <laughs> but I want to buy this guy. some. I want to give this guy some shoes and I think I have some at home. So he said, yeah, go ahead. You know, that's, that's a good thing to do. So I get home and I go and grab the box of shoes and I look at the box and, and it, I'm sorry, uh, it, it's but emotional. the shoes are 16 E. <laughs> And that's just not a coincidence. No, I'm sorry. It's no, just not. it's not. And it took me a second to sit there and go, wow, God, is this why you wouldn't let me take these shoes back? Sure. Right. Sure. So I take, I go back and I, I had a ride along that day, uh, somebody with the community and I go and I'm <laughs> the whole way back. I'm going, this guy's never going to still be there. Yeah. How am I going to find this but guy? He is. Yeah. One homeless person in the yeah. city of Phoenix. Yes. You know? But he is. He's still sitting at the bus stop. So I call him off the bus stop. I take him to the back of the car. I tell him I found the shoes. And he's a big guy, tall guy, uh, heavier guy. So he can't get down to his feet. So he sits down in the back of my car and I put the, the shoes on. Well, I didn't know that somebody was watching from a, a city bus. And decided to get off the bus really and film it i thought it was your ride along no it was just a gentleman that was a he's uh i i can't remember his name tag now and excuse me if he's listening and i i don't remember um but a lot of things happened since then <laughs> yeah, a little, bit, <laughs> little bit but he films it so i don't know all this is going on um i think it was a friday i come back to work tuesday and I walk in the briefing and my buddies are like, hey, movie star, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what is going I'm like, on? Uh, what do you, what, what's going on? Can I get your autograph? Because <laughs> officers mess with each other like that, right? right? 
I'm going, okay, what's going on? They go, oh, sit down. It's going to come on the news in a second. <laughs> yeah, what did I do now? <laughs> yeah, is this good or bad? So it comes on and I see, you know, the video clip. And it's sad, but the first thing in my mind was this poor guy. He accepts shoes for me. And now he's on the, on the TV. Jeez. And... And he He's going to have people looking for him now yeah. to ask him things. Right. And all he, all he did was he just needed some shoes. Sure. Right. He didn't want the attention. He didn't want the attention. And I didn't want and the didn't attention. you didn't either. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm uh, going, all these bad things are going through my mind. Like, oh, man. What's the what did I get say? into? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so my boss at the time pulls me aside and I had a great crew at that time and he says, already getting phone calls. <laughs> he says, but I told him, uh, my lieutenant told him, he's not going to want anything to do with anything. Um, but you guys are, you guys can call him, but he's not going to want to talk to anybody. Was it like the media and that kind of stuff called? Well, the media was calling the department because okay. they go through the department. Right. And then, um, so at that time it was a, a, the PAO sergeant was trying to call me. I was getting calls on my phone. I was ignoring them. I was busy. I ended up arresting a guy. So I just kept ignoring the calls. I knew 602-262 number. <laughs> so right. I just kept ignoring it. So I'm going through the booking process, and I hear a knock at the door, or a knock at the window, and I look at it. It's the, it's the public affairs. Tracks and the only, thing, <laughs> yeah. the only thing that got me to do the interview was uh, he said, listen to me before you say no. I've already told, been told that you want, you've been doing this for a while and sure. you don't want nothing to do with this. Sure. He goes, but the chief said, if you give them an interview, the media, you can say whatever you want. Ooh. And you know how my mind, Susan knows how my mind works. Oh, did I know Mark? <laughs> so I said, really? I can say whatever I want? Yes. Right? Because so many government agencies are will use church and state they don't want officers praying for people sure um who was chief at that time it wasn't chief williams no it was, was it uh, garcia it was chief yonner oh that's right yeah okay all right so um so one of the assistant chiefs uh i believe it was markley is the one that said hey tell him to get an interview he can say whatever he wants wow so i said okay cool i said well where are they well they're they're gonna be here in like five minutes <laughs> Right. Just in case. <laughs> so in the interview, to make a long story short, is cops do that all the time. Absolutely. Cop, police officers are always taking care of people. I just happen to get caught. Right. Well, and I think nowadays, I think people see cops doing good stuff, but they're not about to film that because they're no. just looking for well, bad things. And that was the other thing that the, that the uh, public affairs sergeant told me that yeah. changed me. He goes, so let me tell you about the guy that got off the bus. He told us he thought you were harassing a homeless guy. Mm. So he was going to put you on blast looking for bad. So when he saw what you were actually doing, he says, Hey, if I'm going to do film this for something bad, right. I'm going to show something good. Good for him. Yeah. And he did. So good he had him. the conviction right. to say, Hey, caught something else. Yep. Yeah. Let me, let me do this. And the sad part is how many people today right. would do that? Right. Truthfully. Right. And he, or not find a way to spin it to make it look bad, right. even though it was good. That's the hard part. 
and I still, you know, and even then, you know, I'm not a big person to turn around and try to contact anybody. Right. But I guess he had reached out my brother. He was online and my brother reached out to him on Facebook because I don't have any of that. And, uh, I know you don't. I told it's my brother, pain. I said, you know, he wanted to apologize for the initial why he was going to post it. And I told my brother, you know, just tell him, thank you for doing the right thing sure. for showing yeah. something else. Yes. It's not attention that I want. I said, but God shows that it's the simplest things yes. that you can do for somebody that changes what other people think. Well, and I tell you, the first time I saw the picture, when you showed it to me, for those who don't know, Phoenix uh, drives, were those Tahoes at the time? Yeah, I was driving a Tahoe that day. And, and Mark had popped the back, and the man was sitting right. in the back of the, the very back on the bumper area, whatever you want to call that. And the picture is Mark kneeling down, putting on, and you can't help but think about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples right. during that very critical time in history and not that you were being Jesus, but you were being Jesus like mm -hmm. with right. this man and giving him something that, you know, cause what time of year was that Mark? Was it summer? Was it hot? Well, if it was before the shooting, it couldn't have been. Yeah, no, it was, was, I believe May, it was right spring. in, it was, it had to be the early part of January and because I bought the, the shoes for my son for Christmas. They didn't fit him. So okay. now I was trying to return them for a couple months. And it can get cold here, but the heat, you you know, you have to think this man didn't have shoes in the summertime either when the concrete can get, well, we've seen people fry eggs yeah. and yeah. stuff. And you, you think about those things that he must have gone through. Well, and it was just the whole thing, you know, it, it after it was all done and after they gave me the interview and I came up with what I did, my wife goes, you gave the interview. And I go, but I outsmarted him. <laughs> She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, I said, God at the beginning. Good for you. God in the middle and God at the end. Cause they couldn't edit it out all Not three all times right. <laughs> or they'd have no interview. God, every other word. And, and I said, so when I saw the interview, finally, I saw that God came up twice nice. in the interview. So I said, that was my whole thing behind it. Mm -hmm. I said, and even the gentleman that I gave the shoes gave me a lesson. Because after I put the shoes on his feet, he was obviously, I don't know if he was particularly homeless. He, he was a handicapped in some way mentally, mm -hmm. but he had all this change from the initial call, right? From the thing. And he wanted to pay me for the shoes. Wow. And he nearly broke me on the street when he did I that. Yeah. You know? I bet. And I was like, no, it's a gift from God. It's free. Yeah. But he wanted to pay me for the wow. shoes with everything he had in his pocket. Wow. He didn't just, he wasn't just going to accept sure. something. Because yeah. he, he wasn't wanted, expecting anything. No, right. he didn't, he didn't ask me for it. Yep. And he still tried to pay me. And like I said, that kind of floored me. It was like the lessons that we have, but sure. I left and had to compose myself because it reminded me that. Man, Mark, how many times did you miss those little things that you could have done over the years when you weren't looking, when your eyes were closed? Sure. Right? And I think those little reminders come up. You know, those are things for police officers today, especially when people are hating on us a lot. Yes. You know, that don't make up things that are fake, but open your eyes to do the things that you can do. We, we come in contact with hundreds, 
of people a week. Yes. Do open your eyes and do things that you see you can do that are outside of police work. You know, and it's like I did a ride along with Chris Ferrara one time a few months before he was killed. And it, it was so interesting to see the homeless people that knew him. And this was not, and again, Chris and I were very good friends, talked about a lot of stuff, but it was something he had never even mentioned because that's not who he was like you. But they would come up and he would give, there was one guy in particular that he gave a banana to every time he saw him. And there was somebody else he gave an apple to every time he saw him. And that's what they would come up, know, kind of knowing him as that resource. Yeah. And they were, I guarantee if you talk to those people today, they would say he was their best friend. Right. Because that's how he treated them. Yeah. It wasn't that he was there, you know, just to give that. He gave himself in the relationships he developed, even with the homeless and Chandler. Sure. And that to me, there, there's, I would like to say that there's more like that in law enforcement. There is. Than there's not. There's a lot like that. There is. And that's the part I wish the public could understand that the media only grabs the negative because they're not going to get any viewers for the positives. Right. And that's why I think that story is so important because then just a few months later, something completely different happened mm -hmm. in your career. But it still showed God was very much present in how you handled it and what happened. So share that experience with us. Well, after the, after the whole incident with the shoes, I was going through months of, I'd be sitting at uh, dinner or lunch on patrol and somebody come, Hey, you're the cop from that video. And it was a, t a lot of attention that I didn't want. So it changed the way that I did things. So if I did something for somebody, especially shoes, because I always carry, I still have shoes in my car now, <laughs> <laughs> that I would pick up the person, drive them around a building, give them the shoes, and then drive them back to where I found them. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get caught again. Did you ever see that guy again? No. I've never asked you that. No, never saw him again. Wow. But it changed the way that I was doing things now. So there was other incidents where I did stuff and they're like, let us call the media. And I go, please don't. I said, please don't. I said, because unfortunately I'm a man with limited resources and I, I can't do this for everybody. Right. And, and I said, and I wish I could. Sure. I said, but God's going to put people in front of me that I can't help. And I'm going to do that. So you have to talk people out of, Calling media on right. you, right? And you're not doing it for the media attention. You're not doing it for no. that. Right. What's done in secret are the things that God looks exactly. for. So we go through and I'm like, man, I, this video, it's been horrible. <laughs> People are stopping me. Um, dispatch sends me a call saying from somebody in Virginia, hey, there's a call that's coming in for you. And it's somebody saying, if you're ever in Virginia, you have a place to stay. Wow. That's my number. Um, people are trying to interview me from places like Germany. Um, people wow. start sending me checks. Seriously. To the police department. Uh, I got the next 10 pairs of shoes. And because of politics, I ended up just getting rid of the checks because it was just too much. But I still wanted to make sure that everybody knew that I was thankful that they were trying to do that. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, but we weren't able to do it. We just got rid of the checks. We shredded them. You know, God bless those people that sent those checks. Sure. <clears throat> but I started to become, the, the video started to become a burden. It was starting to impact my life. And I'm like, man, I don't want all this. Was anybody excited you arrested them? 
because of who you were. <laughs> hey, it's no, the shoe I never ran into that. <laughs> yeah, because like you were, we were talking the other day about Shaquille O'Neal right. being the reserve officer at Tempe, and I thought, I bet there were people committing crimes hoping like, that Shaq I wonder if Shaq's going to come out <laughs> <Exactly>. on call. <laughs> but it was like, but but after that, it was like, I kept saying, man, this, this video's haunting me for months, for for a good time. And then I get in, I move forward to 2016 and we'll talk a little bit about that. But now there's a new video of me and it's of me getting into an altercation, into a fatal shooting with the gentleman. And because it's body cam, it's now going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on the news. And it was Phoenix's first, wasn't it? A body cam of a shooting? Like a full shooting? Yeah. I believe so. So I'm like, wow, I'd rather be known for the other video the shoe yeah. video yes than this one because i start to worry now my kids are going to be able to see this mm-hmm. right and and explain your family dynamic this what i <coughs> this is what i mean by he's a work in progress <laughs> mark has like 100 kids between the ages <laughs> well, i have seven children so my oldest is uh 32 and my youngest is three but at the time of the shooting Holy the that- three-year-old was a baby Yes. He At the was. time of the shooting. So we had yes. a baby up to what age? All the way about up 30? to, yeah, to about 30. So, um, second wife is much younger than Mark. Yeah. Never had any kids. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to think, how do we go that? Yeah. Spread out. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so we, I start to do things, uh, on the street and they're, and we're doing everything. And I realized later after the shooting, I mean, even the day of the shooting, God was coming mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I encountered a man that day, um, uh, African-American man. And I'm sitting there reading my Bible at 51st Avenue Mitchell. And I see this man that day. I wasn't even supposed to be working that day. I, I came in supplemental because people had called off and, hey, do you want to work tomorrow? So I came in and it was something that I liked to do was in the morning before things got going. I'd sit there and read a little scripture and then hit the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, felt like it gave me clear focus on what I needed to do during the day. But this day I kept, I saw this homeless man and he had one of those, what I call granny bikes, a uh, bike with the two baskets on the back. Mm-hmm. And he's packing up when he saw me and I'm trying to read my Bible and, and I'm watching at the same time. I used to pull in this cul-de-sac and I said, now God was kept interrupting me. I'm like, really? I'm trying to read the Bible right now, Lord. <laughs> Can you give me a minute? <laughs> but I feel this thing, this need to go talk to the man. So I go up and talk to him and I'm trying to be a nice cop. And, and he does, he wants to have nothing to do with me. And, you know, he even cursed me a couple of times. And I'm, it goes back and forth for a couple of minutes. I'm trying to say, well, what's what's wrong and he goes too long and i go well i have time i don't you know with the explicit that was going behind it right. <clears throat> and finally i just said well are you hungry and he 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 finally stopped and he goes well i haven't eaten in a couple of days and i start naming all the places i've been working this area forever so i'm naming off all the places and, and long story short is he drives his bike there i meet him uh and it's early part of it had to be about 10 o'clock and I decided to, he wanted to eat Subway. 
Um, as I'm pulling in the subway, a call comes out for me. So I decided to go in there and get him. I was, my intention was to have lunch with him Sure. and, and, and talk with him and get him to say what's wrong to get right. it off. <laughs> Cause now we're breaking bread. Yeah. Right. And, but I can't do that. So I go, I get him the card. I put a few meals on there and he's coming in as I'm leaving. And I said, Hey, I, I can't stay. I was going to eat lunch with you. I can't stay. I got to go to call, but here's this gift card. And he instantly gets tears in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And last thing he says to me is God bless you. Wow. So I tell people that that day I didn't know it was coming. I knew something was different about the day. I felt it. But I said in that exchange, there was two people in the room. Mm -hmm. There was God and the devil. And the devil goes, you know what? I'm tired of you <laughs> doing this. <laughs> yep. I had this man cursing you and you're interfering with what I'm doing. I'm going to kill you in a few hours. God's like, yeah, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> nice try. <You> know? yeah. <laughs> not today. <laughs> and he's not only going to, he's not only going to survive, but he's going to pray for whoever he encounters. Yep. No matter what it is. Uh, so about one o'clock, get the call, uh, comes out as a home invasion. Which was pretty common in that which area. common. Which common. I've been to hundreds of home invasion calls. Everything sounds normal. Um, even the part where I hear last minute before I get out of my car that they possibly heard sh shots fired. So in my experience on home invasion, when the, when the people leave, they'll fire a couple shots to keep everybody's head down. So nobody will know what direction they left. And it's important for the audience that this was a Saturday, roughly lunchtime-ish. Yeah, about 1300, about one o'clock. Um, so I, I'm just getting done with lunch and I, and I respond to this call with a, with a, a sergeant who, who him and I had, uh, just come from a burglar alarm prior. So we followed each other to the call and we have no information. I speak Spanglish. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and in the video you can tell. <laughs> and that's the minute, that's the, that was the problem and why the call came out like it did because the dispatcher spoke Spanglish. Mm-hmm. So there was real limited information, <clears throat> but <laughs> I tell people, you know, when Susan and I travel, we bring God into the mix, yep. but we don't come out and tell all the backstories of what happened that day. But I tell you as clear as I am today, you know, people that don't believe will think I'm crazy, <laughs> but I'm walking down that path with the sergeant. And in my heart, God says, son, something really bad's about to happen to you, but you're going to be okay. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I, <laughs> a little only, more information. Only <laughs> I heard that. So <laughs> a little more info. If I turn around and say, hey, let's go the other I'm way. Out. Yeah. Nobody knows but me. Sure. But the calming that came from, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm ready. Either way, I survive. So. We get into the situation. A uh, gentleman pops out from behind a vehicle. We didn't know that he had um, killed his girlfriend prior of 10 years. Uh, but he pops out. He starts shooting. And we started, uh, the sergeant was hit. He goes down first. And you uh, actually thought he was dead. I thought you? he was dead uh, because the whole time when the gentleman starts shooting, I know the sergeant has a rifle. 
So I'm trying to listen for rifle fire because whatever side I hear a rifle on, I'm moving the opposite way. Right. Right. Because the rifle's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so when I didn't hear the rifle fire, um, I thought my the sergeant was down. Him and I really, you know, in passing, had worked together before, but we didn't really know each other till that day. Become good friends since then. Um, but when I didn't hear it going on, the rifle fire, I started thinking, okay, I got to do something about this now mm -hmm. because my partner's down. Um, so it's 11 seconds of my life uh, during the shootout. Uh, it's all over with. I was hit twice. Uh, ended up uh, shooting the gentleman through the car. And then uh, as he ran up the stairs and in the end of it, I wasn't mad at him. I was like, okay, I don't know why he just did this, but I'm not mad. I'm not mad. And I realized at that point that God was in control mm -hmm. of the whole situation, including my mind frame. Because if I was mad, I can't pray for the guy. Sure. So that's always been something that I wanted his family to know is that, hey, when, you're, when your dad, <clears throat> your cousin, your brother, your nephew died, I didn't want to do that. I wanted him to put the gun down so that it ended peacefully. Sure. And he goes to jail. Um, but in the end, no matter what he did to me, I didn't hate him. And I prayed for him. And Almost. I mean, pretty quickly. Immediately. It's amazing. Immediately. And then everything kicked in for myself. Once I let that prayer go, then <laughs> I started to feel, okay. <laughs> Now we need to recoup what's just happened. Yeah, I need to evaluate myself. Now. Right. So I knew the sergeant was okay now, which was great. Um, I immediately felt like, man, why did this just happen to us today? You know, and you start recapping the day and, and it's something that you prepare for before the fight. Cops run scenarios, you sure. know, sure. all the time. But then when it happens, you're like, all right, uh, that just happened. I don't think I played that one in my head. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and the first thing I thought about was um, I need to get to a phone and call my wife because she's going to hear somewhere. She knows I'm working, mm -hmm. and she's going to be worried. And she happened to be at a birthday party that day. So I uh, had an officer go get my phone. Uh, I put the phone in my – I called her and just told her. Been in a shooting, somebody died. I'm hit, but I'm okay. And uh, and just to hear her voice was calming to me. Sure. Um, and I knew now because she's a former police officer that she's probably scrambling trying to where do I need to go? <laughs> and uh, but like I said, not to go into totally like what we do with the training. Right. Just the presence of the lesson I learned that day, the presence of God was that no matter how mad we want to be or no matter how bad we want to be when God is in control and he's in your presence, you can't have all those bad emotions. Right. You can't be mad even sure. if you nope. want to be. Sure. You can't do it because of his divinity. Sure. You can't do it. Yeah. See, I think a lot of that was what took place at 9-11. When the cross was placed, you know, of the beams, mm -hmm. 
every time we went into that, you could feel that presence. And I said, I think that was the thing that kept so many of us who went down respond or went up responding in New York was that as bad as it was and all the things that went on, God was there that day. There's no mm -hmm. question about that. No, because there's no way any of us that were around there could begin to understand people jumping out of buildings <clears throat> and the things that our first responders had to see and go through and be exposed to even afterwards for what over a year right. of processing that crime scene. I don't think anybody could have come out of that with any sense of mental wellness had we not had that feeling that God was there that day. And that, you know, we still got a lot of physical stuff going on with the cancers and things, right. but still that's what allowed them to do a job that when I, I remember when I first got there looking at that mess in the pit, this is going to take years. And what they managed to do is unbelievable in a year's time because <clears throat> it was still burning when we got there. And that was in December. And like I said, I think that's the only thing that really helped all of us get through it. Just the so, presence, yes. whether you knew it or not. Yes. You know, he was there. Well, and everything you went through even after that. Well, and I started to see right away the impact that it had on people because I didn't know that because officers knew the things that I was doing for people, right? Mm -hmm. A sergeant knew, people knew that I was doing stuff. Even though you think you're doing it secretly. <laughs> Another, hey, do you know Mark's doing this? Do you know he's doing this? Right? Because ultimately, no department wants to admit that officers are out there praying for somebody. They don't want it. Sure. Right? But, hey, you know what? Write me up. <laughs> now, I'll frame that really big. <laughs> Badge of honor. Right. And good thing cops have big mouths. <laughs> so they, so I just, you know, it, it. so what impacted me the most is I come back and I rode with a partner of mine. Uh, when I got back, they put me with somebody. I've been a cop a long time. And he said, hey, can I tell you something? I go, yeah, what's up? He goes, I saw the video. I saw your video. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, um, you know, with all the stuff you've been doing, with all the stuff that the praying and the trying to take care of people, we thought you were getting weaker. <laughs> he goes, but we, we all saw the video and I realized you were actually getting stronger. Yeah, it's not a conflict. No. That is, you become a Christian and pray for people exactly. that you no longer have the ability. Now, now all of a sudden you're weak? <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. But it's the it's the thing that, you know, it's the misconception of people that don't know that you actually rise to a different level, level of strength with Absolutely. it because now you have an inner strength inside of you right. that's way more powerful than you are. Absolutely. And I started to see that from the pain that I was going through of going through the shooting because uh, I definitely didn't want to kill anybody that day, um, that things were going to start moving very fast mm -hmm. for me. Uh, and it just so happened that, you know, my first meeting before I met Susan, and I'm still going through the whole process of still processing what happened. Sure. I get asked to speak at a conference in Glendale. Somebody goes, hey, there's this conference in Glendale. It's people from all over the country and it was at a church in Glendale mm -hmm. and I said, okay, I'll do it. It was uh, and I don't know. I don't can't remember. It was somebody you hooked me up with, with that lady that you hooked yes. me up with. Yes. So she has me come in and speak 
And when I announced that I was a police officer, I saw this group of ladies get up and walk out. And I go, okay, I guess they don't want to listen to a police <laughs> officer. But they came back in. They came back in and they happened to see the video and they happened to hear uh, me saying that I prayed for the man uh, when he passed. And when it was all over, those same ladies, they go, we're from Philadelphia and we walked out because police officer just killed a young, killed a young kid, I guess, like a teenager. So when we heard the police officer thing, we didn't want to hear you because we're still hurting. Right. Understandable to me. Sure. sure. Right. I don't know the situation with that, but that wasn't me. Right. And they go, and then we heard what you actually said about that. You actually felt something for this man. And I go, yeah, you, as a human, it's what separates us from everybody else. It doesn't matter what somebody does to us. We still have compassion for them because we never walked a mile in their shoes. We don't know. I'll never make excuses for the life that he took that day. Right. But I don't know what brought him to this point. Right. I don't know what's happened to him or her. Sure. And those ladies all surrounded me and had everybody else come up to me and everybody prayed for me, (laughs) prayed for my healing, you know? And I was like, okay, God, you're going to turn this thing that's causing me some problems and you're going to turn it into something bigger than that. And people Mm -hmm. are going to get to see that you can be the most hardened police officer there is out there. Right. But you deep down, you care for everybody that you meet, even people that are on the wrong side of the law. Sure. You care about them too. And that's what most cops are. That's what, why most of us take up the job in the first place. You read the memos from years and years ago and, the, and ours. And now you always see, I want to help people. That's the standard reply. I don't care right? if it was a hundred years ago in an yeah. academy or today. But, and we all felt that way and we still do. Yeah. Sure. Like the, the young officers that are starting the job, that's the same thing. They're not looking for a career. They, they want to go out and make a difference in their community and help. And I think that's also what's causing such frustration and hurt is that the community you're wanting to serve is turning on you, parts of it, the more vocal parts, are turning on you, and it creates a real conflict for you and for families. It's hard to be married in this industry and recognize your spouse is going out every day to to help people who are standing around burning buildings, throwing things at them, and saying that they hate you. Right, but I, you know... Overall, the community does support they do. law enforcement, yes, I and, and they have our backs, and they want us to do the right thing and to be there to help them when they need it. Yes. We just need them to be more vocal. Right. We need the like media we to, to put the right spin on things yes. and tell, tell yes. the truth, yes. the real story. Right. Yes. So I just think it's, like I said, it's, it, it, takes, uh, it takes officers to come out of their shell because- when I met Susan and told her the story about what happened to me, you know, I only went to Susan because I met another officer after I went to different things that didn't work for me. Uh, and he did try everything. The department threw everything they had. Yeah. At, at the him. time. It, it yeah. was. Yeah. And, and it just, it didn't work because I didn't want it to work. Right. <laughs> I played my, I played games with, with, with the people that were talk trying to help me. Cause I didn't want, I'm like, I'm and still, you can say it, the counselor, psychologist. I'm still telling all of them. All of them, I'm good. I'm good. We're all good. And I knew I wasn't, but it took me to find um, 
a, another officer that I trusted to recommend me to Susan under the shield. And she got me to come see her, you know, right away. I think I had to challenge his manhood to get him to come in. <laughs> Probably. Said, You're not man enough. I get it. Okay. <laughs> you, what you really need is someone that would just tell you like it is. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, they no, bring a, hold no punches. But they I, bring but a I, different perspective. I just think I, I look right. back on that and, you know, and the officer, I was like, what if I didn't know him? What if right. I, and we talked over, we just done our quarterly shooting. We're in the indoor range and we shoot. And I, I said, Hey, how are you doing? And we start having this conversation, this personal conversation. Yeah. This officer had been in four fatals and one of them, his last one was just a few days after your shooting. Yeah. So my shooting was on a Saturday and Dave Glasser was killed on Wednesday. Yes. And there were seven officer involved shootings in Maryville that month. So it was a busy month. Right. And this officer had shot and killed the guy that killed Dave Glasser. So he was open enough to tell me what had gone on with him and that I needed to meet Susan. And because I trusted him, I was willing to give Susan a call. And I have to add this because I think it was another God thing because I went up to D.C. for police week. I had not met this officer Mark's talking about. And we got stuck in Nashville on a six-hour layover that was only supposed to be two hours. And I had gone up just to be a support for the Glasser squad. It it was just me on my own. I told them, y'all do your thing. I'm here if you need me. And in that six-hour layover, this officer walked up to me, didn't have a clue who he was, knew he was part of Phoenix, and he walked up and he said, everybody's telling me I need to talk to you. And I'm like, <laughs> and who exactly are you? <laughs> and he tells me who he is and what he had done. And I said, yeah, we probably need to talk. <laughs> and we sat in the airport and talked and became good friends through that whole week or the part that I was up there. And and then it continued on and he talked with me some and so I feel like God started that day in that airport lining sure. this up. Yes. And and that's the thing, you know, if, if people would have told that officer and I years later that we were going to be <laughs> in front of other officers, uh, telling them about a time in our lives where things went haywire. We're like, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I do that? That's yeah. a better part of Mark's training with you. And, <laughs> and for Chris to say, hey, you need to meet this lady. I'm like, okay, I trust Chris. I'll call her. And we talked and Susan found out really quick. I wanted to blab about what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So when it's all done and I'm waiting for her pearls of wisdom, <laughs> she goes, Hey, you're going to teach with me and you're going to tell people exactly how this is broken. Nobody's talking about this. Yeah. And I go, no, I'm not. And now here I am doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> he stands in front of classes and says, can you believe this crazy old woman? Yeah. Tell me, I'm going to tell people how my peers, how broken I am. And they're all kind of laughing like, does he realize he's standing in front of yeah, us? Telling us that. But, but I think it's also important, especially if we have mental health listening out there, that you know the focus on Mark's shooting was the shooting. And right. what I said to him that day when I asked him, I said, you want me to tell you what's wrong with you? I said, it's not the shooting. It's that you couldn't say. Well, she said it very loudly, but. Well, I did. I was fussing at him, I'm sure. But I said, it was the fact you couldn't save Marcy Cordova. Because, and I asked him, I said, did you come out of a police academy thinking you'd never have to shoot anybody? And he goes, no, that's what we're trained to do. We all thought that. But nobody talks about the responsibility y'all feel. Even though Marcy was dead, I'm sure, before you got the call. Yes. More than likely. Yes. 
And but there's still that because you're trained as problem solvers, we should have been able to prevent yeah. this from happening. And that's the conflict that comes in. And nobody talks about that because everybody you went to, again, good people, good yeah. intentions. But all they knew was in their brains that this had to be a conflict over shooting somebody. And I right. go and it, it, and it, and it's at there and it, and it, at the time I thought about it, you know, I've after obviously I'm in a better place than I was then. Sure, I am sure. now, thanks to Susan. Still a work in progress. Still a work in progress, <laughs> but I still apply the concepts. People don't understand. I still apply the concepts from her training in every day of my life. That'll never change now, right? But when we started talking and going through things. I didn't know why I was acting the way I was. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest problem. Like, man, what is your problem? What are you doing right now? Right. What is your issue? And when I didn't want to admit that I felt substandard because I couldn't get there fast enough. Mm -hmm. I couldn't save this lady who was my hero, who is my hero today. When I found out what actually happened and how she passed. How long was it after the shooting that you actually got the full story of her? Uh, I want to say almost a year. Was it uh, really? Yes. Because the investigations take that sure. long. And um, and that was the first time I saw all the pictures. Right. And I didn't know how that would impact me to see all the pictures, but I'm sitting next to the, the sergeant that I was with that day, and we're looking at the pictures. And I looked at him, and I go, man, the pictures make it look bad. And he goes, Mark, it was bad. It was a bad situation we were in. And I go, I only remember the 11 seconds. That's it. I don't remember that time. And so I did. So the pictures, just like a movie, are show all the aftermath that day of all the destruction. And it reminds me of, you know, because God shielded me from all that destruction. Mm -hmm. Just you got to handle this in front of you. And yes, I know how you want this to end, um, but it's just not going to work out that way today. But just breathe and do what you need to do, and we're going to be fine. And I think it's important to say also that the sergeant really saved your life in that he saw the guy yes. first, and very quietly on the video, you hear him tell Mark, there's somebody behind that yes, vehicle. Right. Yes. And that's the thing that and Mark I, says copy that I tell people is, you know, cops are the worst Monday morning quarterbacks. And yep. somebody will always say they did, they could have done this or they could have done this better, whatever. Uh, it was a crap storm. It just was. Yeah. Somebody asked me, frankly, one day, what could you have done different that day? I go stayed home. What else right? can you do? <laughs> so, but it's important to note that that with uh, Sergeant Wong, and I hope he, I hope he hears this someday. I do too. That he saved my life that day. He yeah. thinks sure. I saved his, but he saved mine. Yes. Because I was complacent that day. I tell everybody that I was complacent that day because I've been to this call a hundred times. And I wasn't looking under cars like I did when I was a rookie to look for feet. I was looking for, hey, let's get to this apartment. Let's get this settled. It's almost half half our shift's over. It's time to go home almost. We got to get this call done. But luckily for me, Sergeant Wong was doing all the things he was trained to do, and his head was still on a swivel. And he was still checking things out. And he did say, and you hear it in the body cam, hey, there's a subject behind that car. I say copy. 
And when he said it, I was looking up at the apartment. But when he said it, it caused me to turn his head, turn my head. And as soon as I turned my head, and it all happened. It's, yeah. the guy's popping off shots. And I tell people, had Sergeant Wong not alerted me to that subject, and I had to find him after he's shooting, total different gunfight. Total different gun. I want to point out, too, you say complacent, and I hope every law enforcement officer out there listening hears this because I don't believe it was complacency. And this is one of the things that we teach, and I think we have checked you for this, but between your Marine Corps days and everything else that's happened, I truly believe that was adrenal fatigue or insufficiency. And I think we have, have kind of dismissed a lot of critical incidents to officers being complacent. I had this conversation with one of the assistant chiefs at Phoenix about one uh, last year, and there was a lot of talk of these veteran guys being complacent. And I said, you know, I I think we got to look at it from a different perspective because I do think it's adrenal fatigue or insufficiency, and it's something we can teach people on the front end to be proactive in this stuff. And there's all natural things they can do to make sure that doesn't happen. But I, I think we got to stop dismissing things to complacency and the old adage of, what is it, retired on active duty? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> because I think that's too simple. And that can't be prevented, but this adrenal insufficiency can. Right. And yeah, another and reason think- that I don't think that it was complacency is because as you're walking up there, you had that God's voice of God you that said, <laughs> yeah, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Just breathe and take care of business. Yes. Yeah. You know? So- in your mind, you're still thinking and you're still working yeah. the problem. But like Susan says, when you're adrenal fatigue, you're just reacting differently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that. And it's it's one of those things, like I said, when it all was said and done, I was like, I've been being prepared for this my whole life. Yes. You know, all the scenarios. Like, I was that cop that <laughs> when we went, go down to the range... And we draw our guns a hundred times and then shoot. I'm like, this is a waste of time. When I was in the Marine Corps, we went once a year to shoot and it was fine. And we were hitting stuff 500 yards away. Why am I here every quarter? Right. But when I got caught behind the eight ball. And that was a struggle for you. But what's funny is every time Mark tells a story, there's other parts. This we've been teaching together now for several years there's always a new aspect. And I'll go, do you remember saying, <laughs> I thought I always said, no, Mark, that was new today. We're learning something new today. Yeah. But the struggle of a non-veteran, non-police officer yeah. getting, as you put it, the jump on you. You got the jump on me. And and it and it haunted me for a while. Um, but I think it had to happen that way. It had to happen yeah. that way. Um, it had to, I had to see that, I'm just as vulnerable yes. as a regular citizen. Yep. I and just happen to have a uniform you know, on I mean, and badge. He just killed his girlfriend. He knows the police are coming. Yes. He knows what he's done. Right. Also. So yes. all he has to do is lay in wait because that's his best chance. If he can get the jump on you guys, that's his only chance of getting away. And if right. he gets killed, it's better than going to prison. Right. right. And he, and, and like I said, you know, to that, I still try to, I don't know what happened to him that day. I know there was a little bit of things that he had on board sure. um, that he had done too. Um, but I still sometimes think to him, you know, hey, uh, I still didn't want it to happen that way. Right. If you would have put your gun down 
Even though sure. you had already shot me, I would have stopped and uh, took you into custody and sure. you'd be alive today. I uh, also want the audience, civilians out there listening to understand too that even though Mark felt that peace, he didn't completely feel the peace till he got to the hospital and SAU had cleared every apartment because he was so concerned. He knew he had other rounds that didn't go into this guy. He was really concerned he had right. shot and killed a mother fixing lunch. Exactly. Or some kid watching cartoons or something. Yeah. And it took a while for that to happen. Yeah, it was a major concern of mine um, because I was already having problems with the the person that I was engaged with. But now if I find out I killed some kid, right. I'm in real trouble yeah. now. And, you know, I probably would have not been a cop after that anymore. I'd been like, no, nope, can't do it anymore. I just killed an innocent person. Sure. Because we're accountable for all those rounds. I, I, I don't think people understand uh, because the, the, the way the media plays it, they think we're just cowboys going out and sure. sh have a shootout. We're no, not. The, the we're accountable. We're, we're accountable for all. Right. And we, that's something that we have to think about. Every time you pull that trigger, what is that round going to hit? Yeah, where is it going to go? And where is it going to end up at? Well, right. And just the enormity of carrying that type of weapon with you every day. Not that y'all put it on every morning and go, oh, my God. You know, but the reality of having it, then making that decision to pull it out, then making that decision to pull the trigger. It is not just a yeehaw, let's go moment. Right. It's not. No. No, it's not. And it and it and when you start to after it's all said and done and everything's over, everybody wants to put you at this level <laughs> that you don't want to be at. You know, like, oh man, you dominated that guy. Well, Great job. I didn't want to do that that day. So when Susan and I teach especially recruits. I asked them all the same question and sadly only a couple have answered it. Yep. I always leave the recruits with the question. What was the best result of what happened to in that video? What was the best outcome that you could have thought of? Well, the best outcome you weren't hurt and it turned out. Okay. I go, no, the best outcome would have been for the people to call when they were fighting an hour ago. Yeah. And we get there and nobody, dies that day that's yeah. the best outcome yes that would have been the guns perfect didn't outcome. come out nothing happened right that day. we separated them but you know i learned a, a valuable lesson from lieutenant colonel dave grossman years ago i had an officer that's now on my team in alabama and he had to shoot and kill a firefighter in alabama someone he knew small town and he struggled and for almost a year we worked on it couldn't figure out what exactly was going on I take him to meet Grossman. 30 seconds, Grossman resolves the problem. <clears throat> he knew the story, and he walks up literally to Steve, and he shakes his hand and says, congratulations on a job well done. And you could see the relief from Steve go away because this is somebody who gets it, that you didn't initiate it, you responded, you did your job, and the good guys did go home that day. And it's sad that somebody made that decision. But you, that's your job. You have to respond to those things. And so that's something I use with when I'm called out with Maricopa County um, Sheriff's Department when they have shootings. It's one of the first things I say, and it's it's always an interesting look because they're like, she thinks I did a good job. You did. <laughs> yeah. Because you didn't wake up that day going, who can I go shoot? Right. Well, and that's one of the things that, that 
you got me originally with when you know I jokingly tell people she's yelling at me, but she really was. <laughs> <laughs> I just speak very she said, loudly. So can you live in the red? Listen. She goes, can you live in the red all the time? Nope. And I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, no, you can't. <laughs> she goes, you, Crazy people Maureen. that try to live in the red all the time, she'll, you'll have a heart attack. You'll die young. Sure. She goes, something will happen to you where your body can't live in the red all the time. She goes, but you can live in the yellow when you're when you go on every call. Cops should never be in the green. That's right. Yeah. But or you can white, live especially. in the yellow, but you can't live in the red all the time. She goes, so no matter how far behind you thought you were, your training still overcame him. Yep. And like I was saying is I was that cop at the range <laughs> complaining about having to shoot all the time. But it was a humbling experience where I actually catered food to the all the guys down at the academy that have been training just to say, hey, I'm that guy that was talking crap this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for but having me prepare. <laughs> because right. of what you guys do, yeah. yeah, I was able to do what I need to do that day. So have some food on me. Yeah. Thanks sure. for giving me that right? ability. And I factors. could see them like, because some of them been out a long time, like, wow. Yeah. Nobody's ever done this. Well, sure. I got to give credit where credit is exactly. due, yeah. right? So there was just a lot of things that were humbling about it, about mm -hmm. the whole situation. Um, and it came to when Susan finally got it to me about my whole problem was Mercy Cordova, because like I said, she's my hero. She could have stayed in the apartment she was hiding in. But when she heard him make threats towards the people in there, she ran out and she was killed. She's my hero that she day. She knew she was going to die. She's my hero that day. Absolutely. And I couldn't save her. And I had a problem with that. But I couldn't admit that to myself that that was my problem. I kept saying, why couldn't I get there faster? And when I came back to the road, I was trying to get everywhere fast now. <laughs> and, and you know, and it's like I said, I know now I would have had to been clairvoyant to get there before sure. she was before she was killed. Um, but it took for somebody to remind me, Susan, to remind me that I'm only human. You're a problem solver, but not right. gonna solve them all. Yeah, yeah, I can't fix everything. You can't. Um, right. Can't foresee the problems all the time. And when she said all that, I go, wow. Once once I figured out what was going on and I sat in the training. And I heard about all the things going on psychologically with me. I was like, man, you're going to have to do something that's outside of your box. And you're going to have to get in front of other officers. And you're going to have to tell them that you went through this time where you felt broken and you didn't know why. But instead of playing, staying the victim. Yes. You said, hey, I survived this shooting. And I'm going to survive life. With mm -hmm. the whatever the new normal is, whatever it is. Sure. And I and I say to the officers that hear this that are struggling right now with with whatever, because it doesn't have to be a shooting. Nope. Right. It's all the dead babies. It's all the uh, heck. It can be the divorces, sick families, sick kids. Yeah. All the things all that we see come together. It, it right. comes together. So and you never know what's going to hit you. Right. But you don't have to live with it. You can get help for it, and we got to get outside the stigma. That you're broken if you ask for help. Right. Sure. That you. I think. I think that's you're strong if you're asked for help. You want to be better. You want to better yourself. And the help has to be able to help. Exactly. And that means, again, the license world, 
there's a place for them at the table. But if you want to work in this population, you better get to know this population. And I encourage them to do like I did, full SWAT school, do hostage, get in any kind of law enforcement training, get out on right. firing range. Understand the job that we had to do. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll spend the first six visits trying to figure out what these 10 codes are. They talk funny. <laughs> they think I talk funny. Y'all talk with numbers. I had to learn all these crazy numbers. And it's and it's kind of weird that I actually know what you're talking about. Now. Of course, after 30 years, I would hope I would. But if you're going to work EAP for these groups, you better understand the level of trauma. Yeah. And if you can't hear about one dead baby from one cop, you can't hear somebody with 20-something years on and hundreds of events, if not more sometimes, and it's okay to say I'm not cut out to handle that stuff. That's okay. Go work with other people. But you've got if if you mess up with one, yeah, you're done. Uh, there nobody right. in that department's coming to you, right? And not have any faith that you can help them. No, because if Mark were to tell me, "Hey, this counselor, don't go see them." There's sure. no way yeah, you're I'm not going gonna to go. And Mark would tell me that Absolutely. just because we're brothers and right. in the Absolutely. same profession. Absolutely. And if we're both struggling, we're going to talk. Absolutely. And that's that's my best advice to the mental health world. Get out there and know this population. Do ride alongs. You will. And especially if you're a female, get in a car with a cop at night and keep your <laughs> mouth shut. They will take you past every dead body, dead babies, whatever's they've ever had in their career for eight, 10, 12 hours, however long you're in there, just sit there in silence because they'll start talking. <laughs> daytime, y'all aren't quite as talking. You're not quite as chatty Kathy <laughs> in the daytime because yeah. you can look at things. Yeah, you can stuff. look at things. But in the dark, woo, y'all just. And, and I say, like I said, because I know now, because I've talked to officers that have listened to the podcast now. And everybody he hasn't listened. I haven't but listened. He's listened to officers. <laughs> but they take it. But, and it goes with my personality because I told Susan, when I first sat in her training, I was the guy in the back on my cell phone trying to Google and just disprove everything she was yeah, talking what is about. She, what is this B vitamin? What the, is this B yeah, this is crap. And she talks funny. Tartar, so, tartar sauce. <laughs> Watch that, Tom. You're having everybody eating tartar sauce. It's cream of tartar, people. But I guess the biggest thing I can tell officers is because I know every time I see the suicide rate is higher. Yeah. Keeps going up. Going up. That if you're going through something right now, whatever it is, doesn't have to be a shooting. If the job is caught up to you, yes. get past the stigma, get help. Yes. And however you feel right now about what what you're going through, it's okay. Exactly. To feel yeah. it because it's your feelings. It's your right. emotions. And if you don't get help, you're going to end up in jail or you're going to walk off the job one day. And guess what? You're just going to be replaced. Sure. By the next number. Sure. That doesn't help your family. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help those that you love around you because they want why should we be punished? Why should we punish ourselves for a noble profession? Right. When That's we it. can just go talk to somebody and get some help. So don't wait till, you know, like me, I, I tell people in every class, don't be an idiot like me and wait 16 years to empty the closet when I could have done it empty the whole the time. Water. What are you emptying? The garbage My garbage can. can. <laughs> Thank you. Let's get this right. You know what's funny is, like, we go 
I'll go to the academy and we're trained to have that warrior mentality that we're invincible. Um, and most of the time that's how we live the job. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. But then like for me, 26 years later, <laughs> I'm having all these emotional problems going, why am I feeling this way? Right. And not realizing that it's the job catching up to me. The sure. 26 years that I had done. Yeah. After well, you take off the armor. Exactly. Garbage cans but full. It, you know, and I'm and I'm still I still had to do a year later, but I'm trying to figure out why am I having these issues, not realizing that it's the job. And I th I think that's what these younger officers or or even our veteran officers, they have to realize that it's real easy for all the crap that you see and you respond to that the job most likely is going to catch up to you at some point. If yeah. it doesn't, then and maybe you've got a good communication or a good outlet good, or something. Yeah, back, you know, they, they have hobbies. They have exactly. families who understand who, yeah. for whatever reason, um, they get it and they talk to them. And sure. Those great resources yeah. that unfortunately you're taught in the academy not to have. Yeah. You're told yeah. to keep personal and professional. Which stuff. makes and, and we gotta no get, sense. And we got to <laughs> get, get the, away from that. <laughs> we got to get the leaders to, yep. to change too. Because I tell Susan, I'm very candid about, I'm sure I screwed up some people in the Marine Corps. <laughs> because sure when you go through something yeah. and then you see one of your kid, i called them my kids yeah. go through it sure. you're like all right it's not that big of a deal suck it up get back on the get back yeah. on the bike get back on the range yep. it'll all pass mm -hmm. right and you try you're showing them how to minimize their feelings and shut them down and shove that stuff in that garbage can exactly. what was done to me Pack it right in. yep so you, I did that. I know I did that. Sure. I'll suck it up. Get back out there. You, you'll get over it. Yep. Right? You're a Marine. Yeah. So we have to get leadership on board, too, that just because something doesn't affect you doesn't mean it's not affecting your troops. And you have to look out for that. Yeah. And you have to be willing to turn from the hardened supervisor to somebody that's going to, officers hate the word, sure. nurturing yeah. somebody. Sure. But you may save their, save their life or their exactly. marriage. And this is, uh, Mark and I teach the supervisor class. We've got one coming up this Thursday for Haida. And uh, and that's, to me, one of the most powerful parts of that training is Mark explaining his story and how his supervisors kept thinking, they told him, they kept thinking, this will pass, this will pass, this will pass, and it didn't pass. Yeah. And he was rushing to all hot calls. Mm -hmm. And I have another officer that's been in multiple shootings in a 12-month period. And he called me not too long ago. Goes, why am I doing? And I said, because you know in your brain you can do this, and others may not be able to. And if they can or can't, you don't want them to go through what you've been through. Right. And so you'll do it. And that's what Mark was doing. And supervisors need to hear that and look know what to look for early, where it's episodic, not chronic, because nobody can afford to terminate or discipline anybody <laughs> no, right now. Not right now, we got to right. keep them all on yeah. the street. Yeah. And it's all about changing training, adding to it, not necessarily taking away from. And it's not that you're being soft. No. You're just doing what supervisors and Absolutely. military and supervisors, wherever, yeah. you're supposed to take care of your people. Yes. Exactly. So, yes. so take care of them. Yes. Take care of them. And if you see something, hey, come in my office and it, keep asking. Keep asking until right. they're ready to talk about it. Yep. And if you can do that, you'll, you'll, you'll be... Uh, one, a loved leader. Yes. But you'll be and successful. And you'll be a true leader. You'll be Not successful. a supervisor. You know? Yeah, there's a difference in supervisors and leaders, and you'll be that leader. And that's 
what we're trying to teach in this. And um, as we wrap this up, we need to have him back again. We say this about everybody, but we got a whole nother, we got a whole nother hour we could do with Mark. But, um, you know, I appreciate Mark for the fact that he really was one of the first who was willing to get up and be vulnerable in, in front of his peers and talk about the aftermath. It's easy to get up and talk about, you know, the badass side of the shooting and the tactical mm -hmm. side and all the cool stuff people get excited over. But it's a whole nother thing to be vulnerable. And the response to Mark everywhere we go, before we get to the airport, somebody's texting and saying, thank you, you saved my marriage, you saved my job. I was in a shooting two weeks ago, and now I know what I'm going through is normal. Right. And with him being a combat Marine on top of it, they go, you know what? If, if he can have those struggles and become okay... I'm going to be okay. And so that's why we encourage you, please call us at 855-889-2348. Mark is actually going to be, I think, going through our stress coach certification. Yes. A week from Monday, Tom the Bomb is also going to become a <laughs> stress coach. So if you guys want to talk to them, give me two weeks. <laughs> and, 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 and I know officers that are listening don't don't know me, but I'll tell you that you can trust under the shield. You can trust Susan. Um, she won't lead you wrong. And it will be a phone call that you're not sorry that you're going to make. But you will be sorry if you don't yes. get help and you let yourself spiral downwards and you lose everything, your family, your livelihood, all of that. So make the phone call Thank you, Mark, and get help. And you'll be amazed at how easy it is to actually get help. Absolutely. And, and again... I may fuss at you, as I was told the other day. I'm an equal ass-chewing opportunist, mm -hmm. and I am. But it's done in love, and it comes from a place of knowing that just sitting back and saying to you, oh, how does that make you feel, is not going to be helpful. We have to get to the problem. Don't ask me my opinion. I will give it. You may not like it, but I will give it. And usually I am right. Am I not, Mark? Come on, um, spit it out. Mostly. This is recorded. Mostly. <laughs> I will play it over and over and over. She's always right. <laughs> but we are not going to ask your name. We're not going to ask who you work for. None of that stuff. Just please reach out to us. There are other stress coaches on that 855-889-2348 uh, number. But I'll give you my cell also. It's 334-324-3570. If you want to talk to Mark or to Tom, call me, text me. I will make sure yep. to get them your information and they will call you or they will get the red man stick <laughs> that I have sitting right next to my right hand as we speak. <laughs> and, uh, um, but Mark, will you come back again? Yes. Good, good. Because uh, I think this is important that this story be told. And there's still so many facets to it you haven't even covered. No. Um, Will you listen to the podcast? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make sure he does. Maybe I'll play it during the stress coach certification, which, by the way, for anyone interested, it's a 40-hour certification that we teach. And in order to be a stress coach, we don't care about education. Academia is not where this is at. Um, you have to have done it, been married to it, raised by it, or given birth to it. We want real-life experience in the lifestyle. And so if that's something you're interested in, you can also call me. Uh, and let me know that's something maybe you'd want in your area. We have them all over the country, too, in Canada. And we are really growing. And we'll have some, I uh, hope we can give out some more information. We should have the press release on a new contract we have at Under the Shield. 
hopefully next week and uh, be able to talk about that because it's pretty exciting, some things that we're getting into. Keeping in mind, you boys are going to have to pick up this shield and run with it. <laughs> I'm 62 years old. I'm not getting any younger. And somebody's going to have to take that torch and, and keep going. And if and if you're an officer out there or a spouse, because she's yes. here for your spouses as well. Absolutely. Parents. If it's helped you, pick somebody else up when you see them down. Yes. And give them the number yourselves. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. At some time, you needed help. Yep. And passing it on to somebody else. That's what family does. That's yep. right. Exactly. It's the only way we're going to get the numbers coming down. And again, you can be suicidal. We understand that. It's not about mental illness. Y'all are crazy. Now, let's just get that out on the table. I'm crazier than y'all are, but the reality is <laughs> that's what it, <laughs> And she's old and she's sudden. <laughs> he left that detail out. <laughs> um, but the reality, that's how we're going to begin to make a difference is from the inside out. Right. Yeah. With you experienced guys saying exactly what you're talking about. And the suicidal thoughts are just good people with full garbage cans that need to be emptied, and we got to get you sleeping better. That's the big key. So, Mark, thank you again for thank being you, on Mark. here. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for yes, having me. Yes, And, Tom, you are you know, you're just coming out of your shell, my friend. Well, a little bit. I'm telling you, the first few episodes, it was like <laughs> kicking him going, Tom, say something. I was too afraid to interrupt you. And That's I told him, interrupt me. Cut and me he does off. have a good radio voice. He, he has does, that manly radio voice. And yeah. don't you love that name, Tom the Bomb? Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in and hope you'll join us next week. I couldn't tell you who we have. It's always a surprise. It is. You know, usually to us as well. Uh, But again, call us at 855-889-2348 or my cell 334-324-3570. Thank you guys for what you've done in your careers. Thank your families for the sacrifices they make. Those are that's a hard position. You you law enforcement officers don't always understand how tough it is for families. And it's it's not a fun place, and it's certainly not a place where we get a lot of pats on the back. We get a lot of, oh, and they walk away from you kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I never really yeah. thought about the trauma that my wife went through just every day. Yeah. You know, for us to go and we that. need to have Mark's wife on as a former police officer with mm-hmm. him talking about because that was an interesting dynamic out of yeah. this situation. Yeah. So next time we'll we'll get Melanie on this too and talk about that side of the house also. Yeah, it's and, important. Yep. Yeah. So again, thank you. God bless you. Stay safe out there and let us know what we can do to help. And if you have people you want us to interview, send us those suggestions. Or if you have questions, Tom and I might do a show one day where we just grill each other on questions y'all send us, <laughs> which could be really interesting. That could be fun. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we're trying to boost up our social media, so you can get oh, us right. on on Facebook, what, Facebook under the Twitter, Shield Foundation, Fight in Progress, Instagram, Twitter, UTS Instagram. Fight in Progress. Yep. yep. Yeah, if you search UTS Fight in Progress, you'll find us someplace to get in touch and with YouTube us. also. We're starting out on YouTube. Yeah, that's slow, slow, but, but we're we'll get there. there. Yeah, you got to remember, there's two <laughs> old people trying to do social media. Here. So it, it, we it, need it, a millennial. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> but y'all stay safe, take care, and hopefully you'll tune in next week. And remember, we're always here for you at Under the Shield.